0: Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and his unique plan for your life. Well, good morning, Gateway. Man, it is a great new day. Um, We've got family services going on the next couple of weeks. And I've been given the privilege of being able to share something with you today. Uh, And so we're going to get into it pretty quick because, you know, for someone that's like me uh, that is typically um, says probably more words than he probably needs to. I think you call a person a blowhard. Uh, they've only given me a short period of time today, so because with our, our children that are in here, we want to make sure that they're connected. There you go. See, you're raising your hand, you're already in. So you, I, don't, I, can, I can stop right now. <laughs> She's in, that's good. But I'm going to take us on a little bit of a ride this morning at the beginning of this talk. So you're going to have to hold on because we're going to look at the story of Joseph today. And we're not going to just look at one chapter, we're going to look at all the chapters of the story of Joseph in a very short period of time, and I'm gonna bring it home with some couple of points that I hope we can be able to take away with us today and remember how good our God is that we serve. Father God, thank you for this morning. God, um, let me get out of the way today and let you speak. Lord, I, I feel so humbled to be able to be in front of my friends, to be able to share what you want to say today. God, speak to our hearts. Allow us to see what it is that you want to share with us today through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I was thinking about this, I thought, man, family services, Joseph, you know, it's kind of a dysfunctional family. There's, you know, we can talk about that a little bit. We can talk about good families. We can talk about all these sorts of things. I was thinking about Joseph, you know, in chapter 37, if you want to go there, you can kind of find some of these things as we go along. But in chapter 37, we find out a little bit about Joseph and how his relationship is with his brothers. And at this point, it's not very good. They don't like him very much. He's a young kid. He's about 17 years old. He is kind of one of those guys that, uh, you know, he's the brother in the family. Everybody's kind of looking at with that snarled look, you are know, like, oh, it's Joseph. You don't know, like Joseph. So they're kind of looking at him that way. And Jacob has favor on his son and he's given him this code of many colors. And man, that just is ticking off the other brothers. You got to remember that there's like, Four moms in the picture, right? So it's not like it's just like healthy family. Uh, we, got, we got six by one, we got four by maidservants, and then we got two by the one that Jacob really wanted in the first place, the wife he really wanted. He worked 14 years for her and that was important to her and it had a son and had another son by her and the one son, Joseph, was the one that was favored. So one day Joseph comes and he's, shares with his brothers out in the field, by the way, just wanted to let you know, I had a dream. And it goes like this. Basically, you're gonna bow down to me at some point in your life. Wow, what a way to really connect with your brothers. Hey guys, brought some pizza to you. By the way, wanted to let you know, you're gonna bow down to me one day. I don't think that went over real well. And it didn't. And so what we see here is we see the brothers getting so upset. and They said, I've had it. We're going to sell them into slavery. So that's what they do. They sell them into slavery. They sell them for 20 pieces of silver. And there he goes off with of the Midianites. Well, it's amazing what happens then. One of Pharaoh's officials buys Joseph from the Midianites. And Joseph finds himself in an official's home of Pharaoh. Now, the Bible tells us something about Joseph's character. And it says this. Joseph was one in which the Lord had favor upon. And because the Lord had favor upon him, those that he came in contact with, they saw it too. They saw the connection that Joseph had with his God. They had it in their minds when they saw Joseph, that he had a connection with God, that it was so clear to them that the very first thing that happens for Joseph, he gets puts in charge. And it doesn't just happen once, it happens over and over and over again in Joseph's life. My question to you about, to you is this, in our world today, in your work world, wherever that might be, wherever your circle of influence is, let me ask you this question. Do people see Jesus in you in a way in which they want to find not only favor in you like the Lord does, but find favor in you in your work? Are you an exemplary person who follows Christ so much that you are given responsibilities beyond your own understanding. So, anyway, so that's just a question for you to think about. So, Joseph gets sold into slavery, and here he is, he's working for this guy, Potiphar. So, Potiphar's like he's like he's a real good official, and he's like the guy. And well, then we find out that Joseph is handsome. Potiphar's wife, hey, he's handsome. He says, no, 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 that's not the way it's gonna work. Oh yeah, it is. So one day he's working, he gets caught in a situation. She accuses him of wrongdoing. By the way, this is the G version of the story for our little ones that are in the room. Gets caught in a position, gets thrown in jail. So he goes to jail guess what happens the jailer sees what he sees that he's favored by the Lord so what does he do you know what Um, Joseph by the way if you just take care of that I'll uh, leave you in charge it says it says that the jailer didn't even care about what Joseph did he trusted him wow you're in prison you're a prisoner but yet somebody has seen your character and has put you in charge one more time. So then he runs into a couple of guys, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. I was just checking to make sure you're with me. The cupbearer and the baker are there and they have dreams. Now, what do we remember about Joseph? What did he do early on? He told his brothers what? Yeah, because he, he interpreted a dream. Right? So now he's got a situation where he's got the cupbearer and the baker and they say, we have these dreams, it's really weird. He interprets the dreams. Cupbearer tells him his dream. Oh, by the way, in three days, you'll be reinstated. Baker, sorry, dude. Three days, you're done. You're going to be hanging. Well, that stinks. But guess what happens? Joseph says, look, it's not me that's telling you the interpretation. This is what God's telling me. And what happens? Exactly what Joseph says. So he says to the cupbearer, do me a favor. Hey, when you get to Pharaoh's house, um, could you you give him a good word for me? Could you remember me? Yeah, I'll do that for you, dude. Two years go by. Pharaoh's having a dream. Freaking him out, doesn't know what to do. Cupbearer's going, oh yeah, (laughs) there's that guy. So the Bible says they clean him up. He comes. Did that, was that good or was that, you liked it, didn't you? Cleans him up. He goes in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, look, I heard that you know how to interpret dreams. Will you do this for me? Sure, but guess what? It's not me. Guess who it is? It's God. God will give you the interpretation of the dream. Tell me your dream. He tells him the dream. He talks about the cows, the fat cows, the lean, ugly cows. Talks about the grain. Talks about all these things, the haystacks. Talks about those things. Talks about one eating up the other. Joseph says, here's the deal. You got two dreams that are basically the same. Let me tell you why you have two dreams. Because God is serious that this is gonna happen. That's why you got it twice. Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna have seven good years. Then you're gonna have seven years of famine and it is gonna be bad. It's gonna be so bad that the seven years of famine is gonna eat up the good years and they're still gonna look like skinny cows. That's how bad the famine is gonna be. So he says, well, here's what I would, Joseph says to the Pharaoh, if it was me, here's what I would do. And he says to him, I would put into place a plan. You need to start putting some stuff away because here's what's gonna happen. In that, that, that year seven, there's not gonna be any crops, so we're gonna have to have food. Pharaoh says, is anybody wiser than this young man? Once again, Joseph is put into a position of authority. He's not just put into a position of authority in Pharaoh's world, he is second in command. And the Pharaoh says this, hey, nothing happens in Egypt unless Joseph says so. Okay, that's a long way from being in a field with a bunch of brothers who have sold you into slavery. And the whole time, Joseph is in the middle of it and he is just doing what God has called him to do. So here it comes. Famine sets in the land and guess what? They've got so much grain in Egypt, everybody around, all the countries it says around says they know about Egypt having grain. So people start showing up out of nowhere. By the way, just to let you know, where Jacob and his family are in Shechem, it's a long way. They've gotta travel a long way, but they hear about it, so they said, look, here's what we need to do. Go get some grain, take silver. He does all that. They get there, they find out, and Joseph looks at his brothers and he goes, It's my family. Begins to inquire, is is your father still alive? What about the other brother? And they thought, these are weird questions. Why would this guy care so much about us that he would ask about his family? They answer the questions. Well, then certain things happen. Joseph kind of sets him up a little bit. And as it turns out, Joseph wants to see his younger brother. And they're like, If that happens, our dad will die. He can't leave his side. He's already lost one son. He can't have Benjamin come here. And the brothers are going, look, Reuben's the first one to offer up. I'll I'll offer up my kids to you. Then Simeon says, I will take his place. We can't do that. We can't have that happen. Benjamin cannot leave his father's side. If that happens, he is going to die. We cannot do that. We cannot be responsible that way. Many times in this whole exchange with his brothers, them going back home, there's a second trip. This is in a couple of different chapters. In all of this, Joseph has wept a couple of different times over his family and his brothers. And in chapter 45, we see something pretty amazing take place. They're pleading with him about the silver cup and the sack that he's placed there. It's a, it's a bad deal that Joseph's done to him, but so now if the boy is not with us, they say in verse 30 of 44, when I get back to your servant, my father, if my father whose life isn't closely bound with this boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. And he goes on and they're pleading, please, 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 please. Chapter 45, verse one, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. it's me. What a point of redemption. Joseph isn't bitter. He's not angry. He is so thankful for what God has put him through because he knows when he says in chapter 50 what you meant for evil, God meant for good. It's me, your brother. love that story, I love how he reveals himself to his brothers in a way in which is not hurtful, it's not angry, it's truthful. And he's so excited to be able to share with him that he's their brother. They read in chapter 50 the verse says this chapter Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 it says you intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives In Max Lucado's book, you'll get through this, he writes, Every day God tests us through people, pain, or problems. Stop and consider your your circumstances. Can you identify the test of today? Snarling traffic, threatening weather, aching joints. If you see your troubles as nothing more than isolated hassles and hurts, you'll grow bitter and angry. Yet if you see your troubles as tests used by God for His glory and your maturity, then even the smallest incidents take on significance. Funny that I read that and wrote this. I went to go pick up my oldest son yesterday at camp and we were driving home and I had pulled into an Exxon and we had used the restroom, got something to drink and I was waiting to pull back out into traffic right off the beltway and I'm in my lane and I'm doing exactly what I need to do. There's a, there's a right hand turn only lane. I didn't wanna pull out in there and then block traffic for somebody else that wanted to come by. I needed to get over one lane so I'm waiting patiently. I'm doing the right thing. This guy in a truck comes up to my left-hand side, honks his horn, looks at me and goes, and of course, since I had just read this and had written this into my sermon, I said, amen, blessings to you, brother. Please, go ahead. You know what I did? (laughs) <laughs> it's like so childish <laughs> and I'm like Jared's in the car and he's like praise the Lord I've had a great time at camp yay this is great and I'm like can you believe that guy he wanted to get him I'm like, all right. Jared puts his hand on my chest and said dad it's gonna be okay. <laughs> Oh man, what a lesson. <laughs> One of the things that we've done in student ministry is we've tried to take moments in the Old Testament and we haven't left them there. We try to go back to the New Testament and our stories because we want our students to know it's a complete deal. It's not just the Old Testament, it's just not the New Testament. God has a story, he has a plan, it has a beginning, it has an end. There's a part to all of this, and it all ties itself together. So if you will look at Mark 4, if you want to, real quick, I'll read it. Jesus is calming the storm, and verse 40 says this. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus is asking us the same question to us today. Do you believe in his power or are we like the disciples who say in verse 41, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is in control in your life? That is our first point. I let go of control. I let this guy get to me. And Jesus is asleep on a boat in the middle of a storm. Don't you care? I'll tell you what I'll do. If you'll just trust me, that storm will be gone. The question is asked by the disciples, who is he? I'll tell you who this person is. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross (laughs) disciples who is he he's the visible expression of the invisible God and he is going to reconcile all things to himself in its due course and time. I want to trust and give my control to a God who's already given that control to his son. Second point, God will provide you see the brothers, the tribes of Israel, they had provisions from the famine because God provided for their needs. John chapter 5, we see the feeding of the 5,000. We see how Jesus takes the bread and the fish and he makes it available for all these people to eat. Chapter 6 of John, we get the disciples thinking about this going, uh, did anybody just see what just happened? What just happened there? Jesus goes into this whole thing and he says in chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes will never be thirsty. Alistair Begg said in a recent sermon, says, when we are in need, when we lack something that we consider to be essential to our happiness and well-being, our first temptation is to think that God has forgotten us that he is unaware or unconcerned about our welfare. This is especially true if that need is longstanding. How many of you have prayed and hoped for something, a voice to be heard from the Lord for a long time? You've prayed for something, you've wanted to hear from God. I'm there. Yay for God. But John 6 32 says this, tells us that when God doesn't provide what we feel we need, it isn't due to a lack of caring or a lack of knowing. It may be because our understanding of our need is inadequate. Perhaps he has something better in store for us. Perhaps God wants to develop patience or faith. It may be for reasons we don't understand, but we don't need to nag or badger him to get his attention. He knows and he cares. Does that mean we stop asking? No. We always ask. But maybe God has something in store differently from what our needs are. Keep placing your trust in him because I promise that, promise you this, he will provide your needs. Third thing, can God mend, and God can mend any hurt or brokenness. I just have a couple of verses of scriptures here uh, and they're for you to, Go and look up if you want to, but Isaiah 61.1, Isaiah is speaking here and he says, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. There's a, there is a sense of God wanting to heal the brokenhearted. Psalm 147.3, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 34, 17 and 18. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Joseph had every right to be upset. Joseph had every right to destroy his brothers. But Joseph understood the plan that God had in store. He understood that there was a larger story. And he was willing to be a part of that plan. And he knew that it was only through God that he would be able to have the sense of of healing in his brokenness if God was with him. Concluding thought. God is a God of forgiveness. Despite his circumstances, Joseph was all into God's plan for his life. Because of this, Joseph found his heart pouring out to his family in love, not bitterness and hate. Do you trust God enough with your circumstances to to believe He can mend any hurt and use you for His glory's sake? My hope for us is that we can develop A heart like Joseph's, so God can be glorified in all things. Before I conclude, I just wonder sometimes, how much do we really trust the Lord? And I'm not speaking... To you, I'm speaking about myself. How much am I willing to really trust the Lord? We see it all throughout Scripture where those that have trusted him, they have found favor in his sight. He loves them beyond compare. He wants the best for them. He wants the best for you and I. But are we willing to trust him in all things? i want to end with this. I'm reminded, which I'm really not the kind of person who likes to repeat songs that are played on the radio over and over again to the point where it's like, oh my gosh, if I hear that song one more time. But Mercy Me has a song out right now. It's called Flawless, and I love this song. But the chorus says this, no matter the bumps, no matter the bruises, no matter the scars, still the truth is the cross has made. The cross has made you Flawless. No matter the hurt or how deep the wound is, no matter the pain, still the truth is the cross has made you flawless. It's by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we are given grace and mercy in our lives to even come before the throne of God. He is a good God He's a God who's in control. He's a God who will provide your needs. He's a God who will mend your brokenness. And He is a God who is a God of forgiveness. Are you willing to trust Him today in a way in which you can apply these things in your life? My hope for you is that you can. Father God, Thank you for your words today that we can experience what you want to say to us. Lord, I pray that today your spirit was lifted up today in a way in which you were seen. God, thank you for being a God who loves us so much and cares about us so much that you would die, send your son to die for us on a cross. Let's pray this in your son Jesus' precious name, amen. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome.